0: yeah i like it what's up (laughs) what are you doing what are you wearing
1: something else.
0: Everybody. Welcome to another Making a Geek. I am Damien DiCarlo. Today's guest is a talented composer in the art of music and the avant-garde. He is considered to be one of the Northwest's finest when it comes to jazz. Please welcome musician, teacher, and producer, Greg Goble. Hey, how you doing? How are you doing, Greg? Good. good how are you? Pretty good. You know, it's just been another day in, in quarantine. Uh, <laughs> no doubt it's been tough on everyone in the industry, um, especially out in Portland. I know that Out there is the scene when it comes to doing stuff like what you do. Um, But first of all, I'd like to know how you and your wife are doing during uh, the pandemic. How are you guys holding up?
1: I mean, you know, considering everything, I guess we're doing okay. Uh, My wife's still working full time, so that's good. So at least half the household income is still coming in because, you know, when it came around to March, everything for me kind of stopped almost immediately. Um, So having her still have a job is great uh, But lately I've actually been staying fairly busy Which is weird That's great Yeah, so Good. I think that's going to continue Probably as long as the weather stays decent And then when the weather starts getting bad up here in Portland Because um, I've been doing some the outdoor, outdoor performances And stuff like that That's all going to go away So we'll see what happens But uh, right now Right now, um, I can't complain. Considering now, by by bad, let's let's define this for a minute because yes, because you're in Southern California, you don't ever Southern see
0: California that. bad weather is. I think it's sprinkling outside. That's bad
1: weather, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like Portland bad weather, like just a monsoon. Well, I mean, it rains here. You know, the joke is it rains here like nine months out of the year, and it's always gray and dreary. And then when it starts getting dark at four forty-five. <laughs> you know, not many people are wanting to go out and sit on an outdoor patio. <laughs> right. Right. I, I love Portland. It's one of those easy, easy
0: places to just stay in and stay cozy and not have to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah.
1: For most of the year. Although right now it's been hot up here. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, especially right now here in Southern California, it's just, that's just a nightmare. So anyway, um, I don't want to bore my audience with more of a uh, Portland <laughs> weather and weather talk, but, uh, so going into uh, music, I, I, I'm glad that you're on the show. Thank you for being on the show. I, I want to geek out a little bit on music. Um, going into your career, when did your love for music first start for you?
1: Well, I started taking piano lessons when I was four. Just the typical like little kid piano lessons that parents put their kids in. Um, and fortunately for me... Um, looking, looking back in hindsight, my teacher was really good with students who were that young. Uh, so I think she really developed a, a love of music in me from the time I was really little. And then most kids, um, you might, you probably know people like this. They end up quitting when they're eight or nine years old. And then, you know, when they're 30, they go, oh, I wish I hadn't equipped piano lessons. You know, I just never quit. You so just kept
0: right on it but i just it, it kept right like on
1: going you kind of were born with this kind of talent like you just
0: some kids are born and you know they get placed in their crib with their their rattle or their stuffed animal by their side you had your steinway model piano next to your crib
1: where you could just <laughs> creep up and just yes because <laughs> yes, i grew up in a super rich super <laughs> rich house it just gave me anything i wanted yeah no so, that's so not it's true. since a
0: young young age though you've had that love for the music you, you you kept with it which is what you said was the major uh turning point with most people they just tend to drop it and go to something else so you kept with it you kept going did you have a lot of influence growing up with music in your family
1: um you know, my mom played a little bit of piano but really never at home i think she just played when she was younger my dad's not a musician at all um so i i grew up with supportive parents they definitely supported my uh musicianship if you will but um they were never very much of an influence directly musically you know what i mean
0: now, when it came to listening to music as a kid, was that something that you were already drawn to jazz or piano,
1: or was it just something that developed over time as you were going through lessons? You know, we had a couple jazz albums, and I mean albums, vinyl, in the house when I was little, but my parents didn't really listen to jazz. I didn't know anything about jazz, and there was a, just a really wide range of music, so I didn't actually get into jazz until high school, which is actually pretty late, Interesting. Um So when I was, what is, what is freshman year, 14, something like that. Like that. Yeah. Uh, I got in the jazz band in high school, which I was completely unqualified for if there just happened to be a vacant seat at the piano that year. And I just got in, but I didn't know what I was doing for any musicians out there. I didn't know what D minus seven meant. I had no idea how to build chords, improvise, no clue. So I was totally, totally underwater my first year in high school. So, what what were some of the uh, instruments
0: that you played? Was it just piano, or did you did you venture off to other instruments? I played piano
1: consistently from the time I was a little kid. I did pick up alto saxophone in middle school, so from uh, whats that sixth grade, and I played through ninth grade, and then I decided to just focus on piano only. So those are the only two instruments I ever I ever really picked up seriously. Some now, people I, can just play a million instruments and they sound really good on yeah. all of them. I hate those people because I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm can just foc- i just focusing on the one.
0: <laughs> Got it. Well, I mean, that's what made you perfect the art of what you do. Um, rather than just being good at all of them, you decided to be, you excelled in just piano. Um, now, I assume that goes into keyboard too. You're, you're very talented with keyboard. Obviously, we, we've discussed keyboard. I know you've done the music for, for retro, uh, retro Game Night and um, Making a Geek.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So producing, that's kind of what you're talking about there. Producing is something I've been getting into um, within the last few years, a lot more heavily and it's uh, i really enjoy it. Um, that's a little bit, I mean, there's a performance aspect to that as well. Cause I am playing the parts, but um, it's a little different when you're like making a, a synth, a synth wave track, like, like we uh, settled on for your show. Uh, it's more of the programming aspect than the performance aspect of it.
0: Right, and I'm sure there's a big difference uh, mentally how you approach that. Um, yeah. th- now, in terms of, uh, of instruments that you use for, for piano, keyboard, what, is, what are some of your trusted brands that you you know have to get or that you particularly
1: like to play with? Um, well, I endorse a few companies. So I suppose I should say what they are <laughs> first. I endorse Nord, um, which is a great, Keyboard company. If you see a red keyboard on a gig somewhere, chances are it's a Nord. Um, I also endorse 64 Audio, which makes In-Ear monitors, and then Dave Smith in- Instruments, which makes uh, great synthesizers. They have forever. In fact, Dave Smith is uh, he's one of the one of the guys who was influential in developing MIDI. Uh, which stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. Right. So that's the way that everybody produces, not everybody, but most people produce music now is via MIDI and virtual instruments. And he was one of the guys who invented that language. And he's still alive and his company is still here and he's still making brand new instruments. And I've got a few of them in there. You just answered the
0: next question. So like for me, the fascination with MIDI, let me geek out for a minute, is uh, Retro Game Night on the podcast that was on formerly that we would, uh pick apart everything as far as even the music was concerned and most out out of the first four or five generations of, of gaming consoles was midi file music mm-hmm. it was fascinating it was cool it was different and it was all keyboard it wasn't just all you know chiptune um yeah. like the old stuff and so that's where we started then dissecting midi music and i didn't know whether that was still a thing if people still made that or not but it sounds like the guy that was responsible for it is still doing his
1: thing well midi is just the way that um like for instance your keyboard communicates with your computer it tells it stuff like oh when i press this key down and i press it down this hard and i hold it down for this long and then i release it sends all that information to the computer so that the computer knows what to do with that so it's just really a language you can play you can uh, compose and produce any kind of music using MIDI. It's just the transfer of of that information back and forth.
0: Now, if you were to make it in MIDI, say a, a song, it, then then you just structurally just mimic <coughs> mimic that into whether it be piano or keyboard. After
1: that, and other different sounds. Is that is that right? right? So if I, yeah, if I if I uh, played a, played a little melody on piano and it was sending MIDI information to my computer, then I could assign any sound to that MIDI information. It could be a bass, it could be a synthesizer, it could be a flute, it could be piano, anything. It's just the information is telling the computer what to do. So it's a method of, when it comes to programming, uh, just a structure
0: of music, but not so much the instrument. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and that was kind of like what I remember too with it, but I think the video games back then were limited on sounds, but the structure stayed the same as far as then you could make that into a, uh, a piano melody or, or a symphonic or however you want to do it from there. Um, now in terms of brands, uh, what, what's the difference between brands and, you know, if you get a Nord versus a another brand of keyboard in your opinion.
1: Yeah. I think they all do certain things uh, really well. Uh, for instance, like Nord, they are really good at recreating some analog sounds like, A Fender Rhodes, for example, or a Wurlitzer, or a B3 organ, uh, in my opinion, and they do it all in the digital world. So it's not an analog keyboard, but it's recreating analog sounds, and they really do fantastic as far as that goes. They do a lot of other stuff well too. Um, Others, I mean, I play when I'm on the road. I play a Nord keyboard and I play a Yamaha keyboard, and Yamaha has got its things that it does super well different than nord um and i have both in my studio and i like them both for different things so is the feel of the keys or the weight of the keys a factor or is that yeah it is for me because i'm a i'm an i'm a piano player that's how i came up as playing acoustic piano there's some people who come up playing uh and they might be playing uh an, an organ or a synth synth kind of keys that are not weighted Um, and they're maybe more used to that. So I'm used to the feel of a real piano. I like the feel of that a lot. So that kind of makes a big difference for me. Uh, I really love the feel that Yamaha gets on a lot of their keyboards. I I would say that's my favorite uh, action. Is there such thing as keys that are too heavy as you press it and some people like that
0: or it's just very like, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. And especially when you get into real pianos, handmade pianos like steinway and mason and hamlin and uh, uh those pianos they're all hand built so they're all a little bit different and so if you're investing that kind of money if you're investing a hundred thousand dollars or more <laughs> right i think know, like i think that. i heard that the most
0: expensive steinway was about two twenty-three point something million that sold <laughs> several years ago but uh i, I obviously i don't I have that one i it. bought that did you? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's the one it, that you had by your crib. <laughs> it's
1: just outside of. It's just outside of frame. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> and I know that those are structured very well. They're made handmade, like you said. That's as far as I know. But as far as then, when it comes to handmade, I think that would be popularized just by the quality um, that you also want to display your piano. Because I mean, let's let's face it. You want to showcase this. It becomes a piece of furniture. It's. I don't even know if I want to call it a piece of furniture. More just like a something like of an antique. It's just, you don't really touch it, but it it looks beautiful. And I know some of those grand pianos are gorgeous. Do you ever play on any of those when you do your shows?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've toured and done a lot of jazz touring and come across some phenomenal pianos in clubs and theaters that we've played. Um, And as far as giving a brand, I mean, I have played some Steinway D's that are just second to none a Mason and Hamlin double B that was insane. I played uh, in Phoenix on a piano called a Ravenscroft. The, the uh, builder of this piano, I think his name is Bob Ravenscroft, he developed this piano. And I think there's only, the last time I looked, there was only 12 of them that were built in the world. And Bob happens to live in Phoenix. So that's why this piano was there. It was amazing, amazing piano. I had never even heard of it before I showed up it was like a ferrari of pianos
0: (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. don't see uh, any of those when you get when you get to be seated on one of those you just it has to invoke some sort of feeling of just like (laughs) awe.
1: it's inspiring to play pianos like that because they they don't fight against you when you're trying to make music some instruments will fight you (laughs) and then you can't it's not as easy to get into that zone where everything feels free and it's, and the music is just an extension of yourself with no barrier with a piano like that. It was not only no barrier, it was inspiring me to play certain things. So yeah, I wish I owned a piano that gorgeous. (laughs) I
0: cannot afford it. Now now, I, Greg, I've seen you play at some live shows. Uh, You're terrific. Uh, Tell us about what it's like to prepare for a performance. What's involved when you're, getting a gig and and you know you have a date set out what what's involved with preparing
1: um i think most of the prep goes in uh by myself way before the gig at home just in my own studio practicing so
0: Does does
1: it require you to collab with everyone uh prior to uh not necessarily it depends on the gig it depends on the music um depends on how well you know the musicians if you've never played with them before then it, it might be a little harder to develop a rapport because you don't have any rapport um it doesn't mean you won't make great music um but yeah i think a lot of the prep goes in beforehand with practicing you know uh making notes referencing the recor- recordings if there's any um people often ask me if i get nervous before i go out and play a show especially like a really big show and i don't and i think i would i would get nervous if i was not prepared but i'm the kind of guy who likes to do his homework and so i very rarely have been nervous before a performance because i usually feel like i've done all the work ahead of time that will make me feel
0: relaxed i can agree with that when i did my live shows for the podcast it was the same way i I was prepared as much as i could be but at the same time not structured to just you know a script that had to come off naturally and a lot of that was just that once you get we get the ball rolling and you keep doing it the more comfortable you get um sure now as far as then your uh say you're performing with with someone that you've performed with many times over how uh, how great is that chemistry between you two musically does that make such a big difference versus the guy that you know is a great musician and you get the presence of being with him
1: yeah absolutely i have uh A friend of mine that we've been playing music together for i want to say 17 years straight now and we still play together at least three times a week and the musical rapport that we have is almost like telepathy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we're reading each other's minds musically and that's such a joy to play music with people like that um another person i tour with i've been touring with them for 11 to 12 years and we have a fantastic rapport. Sometimes we do duo concerts, sometimes it's with the whole band. But um, again, it's it kind of becomes like you're reading each other's mind and and your phrasing becomes the same and you leave space for the other person while they're leaving space for you at another time and you're not stepping on each other's toes. It's kind of the the dream to to play with somebody
0: like that. What makes it difficult to then play with someone that's difficult i guess you could say
1: is it just that you don't have the connection or is it that they do their thing too much it could be i mean i've played with musicians who are fantastic and there doesn't seem to be a hookup um and then i've played with musicians who are totally unknown but they're listening really well and they're willing to uh, keep their ego out of the music and just serve the music and that's when
0: the best music happens Right. So if you take your ego out of it, then it becomes more natural and you remember that you're playing suddenly not just you in the spotlight, but collectively you as a group.
1: Yeah. Sometimes the best thing for you to do, if you can, if you can get to the point in your musicality where you can almost uh, back up and view everything from a, um, from a distance, even while you're playing, sometimes you realize, oh, the best thing for the music at this point, especially improvised music, since it's not going to be the same every night. Is maybe for me not to play, and that really you Just really have to take a little. yeah your, you really have to take your ego out of it and say oh it's not time for me to show off and play all my hot licks. The best thing for the music is for me to chill out, maybe completely lay out. But that's the that's the best kind of musician, in my opinion. That's a really mature way to look at it. It's hard to it's hard to get there. Right No, I I. I, I, I Strangely
0: enough, I know what you're saying, even though I don't know what you do like to a T, but um, I think a lot of that has to do with too much of a good thing can be uh, a little monotonous. So I think at this point you're, you're, you're sprinkling in what you know you're good at, but not oversaturating your audience
1: with what you are good at. Yeah. Yeah. If I see that what if you that mean. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And also just feeling like you don't have to hog the spotlight a hundred percent of the time. Right.
0: <laughs> Now, I know you've toured in many places, uh, or maybe you've gone around the world twice over. Uh, Where have you toured exactly that you can recall?
1: Well, I mean, I've, I've toured on every continent except for Australia and Africa. So, a lot of touring in, you know, Canada, the United States, obviously, Mexico. I've been to Chile, Argentina, and then... Let's see, Japan, China, Thailand, and then all over Europe, almost every country in Europe. What are, your,
0: times. what are your top three, hands down, favorite crowd to play for when you go back?
1: You know, it's funny. One of the ones that stands out is when we to, we've been to Japan a few times in Tokyo, and the people, the people in Japan, maybe because of the culture, um, they don't really give it up for you during the show. Meaning, like in between tunes, they don't just go crazy. Right, <laughs> uh, but I think that's just their way of being polite and showing respect. But the way that they that they react after the show, the way that they treat the musicians, their complete competency when they're setting up the show, the crew uh, is just amazing. I've never experienced anything like that in any other country. I've experienced great treatment in other countries, but that was really a unique audience to play for. It was I've great. Heard that. I've heard that
0: before by a few musicians that have toured. Uh, for some reason, to Japan was the, the go-to, and I think it's, it's what you said, that they kind of respect the moment, not so much make a big scene out of it. Um, does the crowd ever distract you, like in any way, in any other performances? You know, Do they distract? Are you just in the zone the whole time? Um,
1: I try to be in the zone. I mean, if, if an audience is being rude, that's distracting. Yeah, I don't come across that all that often, though. Um, I guess if an audience is being loud, though, but they're into the music, I don't mind that at all. It kind of feeds the energy right. of right. the band, and you kind of feed off that, and they feed off you. I think there's nothing wrong with Not, not only is there nothing wrong with it, that's a great thing. I think the music the music benefits from, from Right,
0: that. so you're getting that feedback. Okay, you, you like it, you're into it, you're getting
1: me into it, right? Yes. 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 It's funny that that, the few times I've had a rude audience, uh, I stole this trick from well, I saw Herbie Hancock do this once at a big festival, where the crowd was being super loud during a very quiet song, and He just kept playing softer and softer and softer until the rest of the band dropped out and he played so soft that he eventually stopped playing until everybody in the audience realized what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) And then he started playing again. And I stole that not that long ago, maybe less than a year ago, I was playing a club, a small club and somebody was right in the front row, just jabbering away during a ballad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just completely clueless so i just was like oh, I'm, gonna steal, I'm gonna steal herbie's trick <laughs> it's that teacher in the room would you
0: like to share with the rest of the class please <laughs> <laughs> so you have your methods of controlling the situation which is fascinating uh you, you control the situation you can either feed off of it or, or even change your, your 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 surrounding essentially i mean if you did that and you could get someone to either quiet down or get more into it, then you have full control of the show.
1: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, that's,
0: that's what really a performer is. I think that it's not just showing off. You, you, you have to have control of your crowd. You have to perform, whether it's a live podcast or a, a, a music gig, to make sure that their interest is there, that they're paying attention, that they're not being rude, and that if you are, then hey, you can see yourself right
1: out (laughs) well some musicians go about it in a different way some musicians will just stop playing and just yell at them right from the stage (laughs) front row shut up we're not continuing till you're done (laughs) yeah i I don't take that tack
0: but (laughs) right
1: now when you're at a show do you
0: you promo your your albums i know you have a few don't you or is it just one that you have released
1: i have one released under my own name okay yeah it's called rainy city it was put out in 2013 i think it's time for me to do another one that was going to be <laughs> one of my questions for you <laughs> okay yeah, so, yeah. now you know, i've got all the mu. i've got all the music and everything written and ready to go for a new record i just need to get in gear and block out the time to actually record it so that
0: was going to be now the next question so in, in regards to making a new album or let's just say rainy city which is terrific i've heard it um a few times the, the, the music in that by the way is very avant-garde i can tell that you you have a very unique style of going about the music that you do and i had already seen that before in your live performances but um with that album how long did it take you to produce that to write it to perfect it to where you were ready to say okay go let's let's go with that
1: um that record we did very much like an old school jazz record in the sense that We went in, I booked one day of studio time and got the band together. We had all played together in various configurations. So there was already rapport there. Um, And then we recorded, I think, 26 takes in like seven hours and didn't listen to any of them as we went. We just like boom, 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 boom. And at the end of the day, just packed up and I just jumped them onto my hard drive and went home and listened to them. So that was... That's way different than producing like a pop record where you're multi-tracking everybody on different days and then you're going through and nitpicking every little thing. This was very much like a jazz record and whatever came out that day, that's what came out, right? Right. And jazz typically is that way, isn't it? Or am I wrong? It's kind of just Um, let it roll and see what happens. There's a lot of improvisation, sure. But there's, you know, there's a fair amount of albums that you have probably heard that you don't even know that there are a bunch of edits on there. And it's kind of like chopped up and Frankenstein together to make right. the perfect cut. I don't find anything wrong with that. But um, it's it's not just, oh, here's one take and here's just what happened. Not just that all the time. Right. It has to have some sort of structure that you at
0: least can enjoy at the end of the day instead of just letting it... Or
1: maybe out. somebody made a huge mistake and they just wanted to cut it out or... The first half of your solo was great. And then the second half of your solo off a different take was great. So you see if you can see if you can stitch those together, you know, if the tempo was good enough. How long did it take you to, from start to finish to produce that album, Rainy City? And, well, the funny works. thing is we got done recording and I went home and listened to it over the next couple weeks. And I was so unhappy with it that I shelved it for a year. And I said, well, I guess I'm not putting that out. I didn't listen to it for a year, and then I pulled it back out and I listened, and I thought, you know what, this is this is good. Um, the playing's good, the tunes are good, um, and it is just a snapshot in time. Right. That's what I sounded like then. And sure, I you know when I listen to it, all I hear is the stuff I don't like. But there's plenty of good stuff on there. the The playing by Todd Strait and Dave Capteen and Rob Davis is just phenomenal. Um, and so I decided after that I was like okay we'll take it back in we'll mix it, we'll master it, get it put out and I'm happy that I did.
0: Yeah and I I would say almost every band that I know that I I enjoy they always go through the first couple of albums where their sound is extremely different and they would probably critique it as the way you're critiquing Rainy City which I I think is fantastic but I know maybe with you you've evolved to different different uh, methods and maybe different ways of going about making the music you enjoy to give out but I think that each band has the first couple of albums that establishes who they want to be. And then they start going into more and further, further, you know, different types of styles and different, uh, they, they, they critique essentially themselves the way you just said that, you know, snapshot in time. I didn't really like it that way, but it doesn't mean your fans don't like it. So, which is good. I'm glad you put it out because it's really great.
1: Yeah. I'm glad I put it out too. And you know, the new music that I've written for hopefully a second album Maybe this podcast will get me to get my butt in gear to do it. <laughs> uh, sounds so different than Rainy City. Um, and it's just because I'm, you know, I'm how many years, seven years older now. And I have, you know, many other kinds of music that I like to listen to. And I wanted to put that into these new tunes. So, yeah, very different.
0: Now, I I, I assume not, but because I, I didn't find it. But Rainy City isn't actually a vinyl press available, is it? No, there's no vinyl. Okay. Is that something you want to do with your music? Go into vinyl? Possible. I mean, it's kind of a
1: cool, kitschy thing, especially here in Portland.
0: That's what I was just about to say, because I lived in Oregon for for a little while and I know people there and uh, I personally, I'm a big vinyl fan, but I feel that the kind of music you do would just be perfect for that kind of a vibe.
1: You know, it, it is. And I have friends that over the last couple of years have done vinyl pressings and it's very cool. Um, I'll have to think about that. I mean, the, the cost per unit of vinyl is so much higher than per unit on sure. CD sure. that you, you really have to jack the price up. And then then the thought is for me, do I even want to do CD at all? Or should this all be download only?
0: Exactly. Now we're in a day and age where I, I cannot remember someone telling me they bought a CD. <laughs> I just yeah. don't know
1: when that was. <laughs> yeah, I ran out of CDs uh, from Rainy City years ago, and I never bothered to press up more. I probably should have to sell at gigs, but you can still download it on iTunes and, you know, yeah, all that stuff. So it's vinyl out there. It
0: might be the way to go for now, but I know that, you know, when it comes to vinyl, it's a bit trendier. It's definitely a, a collector item, um, you know, and I think maybe as you produce more albums, maybe you'll find the one that you really want to go into that realm. Because, I mean, vinyl is just to me that special special uh, way of, you know, exploiting the, the album that has either been the most – favored or the one that you treasure the most
1: yeah yeah well maybe if i get a couple more under my belt i'll think about repressing them on vinyl now now as far as
0: music that you listen to yeah what is it that you like personally when you're not listening to
1: yourself being absolutely awesome (laughs) um well i like a lot of different kinds of music I, i think i've said this often that I think there's good music in every genre, whether or not that's country music or jazz or death metal or classical. There's also bad music in every genre, but I try to keep my, I try to keep my uh, mind open. I don't think that I'm a jazz snob, uh, that I just think jazz is the only game in town. Certainly not. Um, It's funny. I, I try to listen to a lot of kinds of music, but since I, since I play and produce music for a living, when I'm just traveling or driving my car to the grocery store, I usually listen to podcasts or nothing at all. <laughs> so what you're saying is you listen to Retro
0: Game Night and making Absol- a geek podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, those are the only loop, two. Twenty-four-seven. Loop. loop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that podcast is right now the you know the thing where it is it it's it's free it's easy it's quick and if you have a subject worth talking about you'll grab the, the interest of anyone within that hour to two hour commute at least you'll get that and then you get the, the hardcore fans and geeks that are into then you know like what I talked to talk about with pop culture and you know things like that that will be more religious about it but podcast is just that way to go now where it's just so it's, it's so readily available so simple and there's just so many genres of music out there that it's to me it sometimes feels overwhelming to f- figure out like i haven't heard music in a good couple of months where do i start again Who, who's the new band who's who's the one that i used to like oh they produced five albums since then like okay i have to keep up so i i can see why some people would go to that growing up though were, were there any particular influences for you musically as far as artists
1: yeah when i first started learning jazz in high school i went to a record store and I randomly bought a record just cause it had a piano player on it and it was jazz. I had no, I didn't know any names of anybody. So I took this record home and really liked it. turns out it was an Oscar Peterson record with his classic trio with Ray Brown, Ed Thigpen. And it was called Oscar Peterson Trio plus one with Clark Terry, who's a great trumpet flugelhorn player. One of the, one of, still one of my favorite jazz records. I got so lucky for picking that record. I could have easily records. picked Kenny G silhouette and not known the difference <laughs> in the record store, but I picked that Oscar Peterson records. That was my first kind of like intro into jazz, which was great, and I love Oscar Peterson. I I've never tried to sound like Oscar Peterson. Um, this the, my biggest influence on piano is by far Keith Jarrett. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. No, but in the jazz world, he's revered as one of the greatest living improvisers. And I, I agree with that statement. I've seen him multiple times. Hearing Keith was just jaw dropping and eye opening for me. I never knew that jazz piano could sound like that. And I still love listening to Keith records, whether or not they're his quartet from the seventies or his standards trio or solo records. Um, It's just amazing. so he's definitely my number one influence. And then, you know, all the other stock kind of influences, that sounds uh, derogatory. I didn't mean it to be that way. <laughs> People like Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, Bud Powell, uh, the list goes goes on. Right, uh, right. Those are, yeah, they're all influences of mine. But Keith kind of was the first and stands, stands the highest for me.
0: Uh, as far as now with, the pandemic uh you kind of mentioned you were kind of working on something how how have you made use of your time now that you're not actually performing are you currently working on anything any sort of album or maybe
1: possible album well i've been doing some collaborations with people kind of like sending tracks back and forth stuff like that um so that's been kind of cool you can't really do stuff live with people yet in a real way because the latency issues are too big um, when you're doing a podcast like this the latency doesn't really affect the conversation that much i mean sometimes there's some interrupting but with music it's just a total deal breaker right um, i know
0: i know that some places over here are doing a live stream of performances for uh the general audience and they'll they'll purchase say i guess it's called an online ticket and they'll actually watch the show from wherever they're performing but right i, I know that it's difficult now with the pandemic do you, do you feel that first of all do you miss playing live or is this kind of like a nice
1: break that you enjoy uh it's not a break that i enjoy no (laughs) i love playing live uh the fact is though i've been doing uh performing still i've been playing uh outdoor venues because the weather up here is real nice so there's a few places in town with big outdoor patios that are covered everybody's really far spaced apart um so that's been nice. I've would, been, would this be in Portland that you're talking about?
0: In Portland, okay. yeah.
1: This year, I all my touring is gone. This year, no, no touring, no traveling. Right, right. So,
0: so that's you, all gone. You found some socially safe distance uh, venues, and have you
1: been performing alone or with a collaboration with of a somewhere? group? Yeah, trios, quartets. Okay. Um, I'm also booking a live streaming series based, you know, uh, from what you were saying, at a at a club here. Uh, we do every Monday, a jazz night that streams live from the club. There's no audience, obviously, and everybody's right. wearing masks and spaced far apart, but the streaming company does a great job and people tune in and donate and it's been pretty successful, I think. So That's I great. think back to your question about like post pandemic, formal, I don't think anybody really thinks that, um, but I think some some good things could come out of this in the sense that there might be some other areas of income for musicians that are going to be opened up like streaming quite a bit more than was happening before. Right. Um, and just other ways to collaborate with people, uh, not just locally, but nationally, internationally, I think stuff like that might um, take a front seat coming up. So that are could you, be a good are thing?
0: are you and your group just really far apart when you perform? Is <laughs> we it, stay, is six, that we stay
1: six feet apart. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is that always kind of was before or you, you you didn't get any closer than that? I assume, right?
1: No, we'd get closer than that for sure.
0: okay so yeah because on
1: a small little stage you're really like crammed in there
0: right um so does
1: does that affect at all
0: going back to the chemistry and kind of like feeling the vibe of each other does it still stay the same as long as you can hear the music
1: yeah as long as you can hear it okay i mean we're not 30 feet apart if you were right if you were that far you might have some issues right you would have some issues (laughs) but yeah we're staying we're staying safely distant wearing masks when necessary if we're outside and we're far enough apart uh, then maybe maybe the masks are off. Um, but yeah, I feel like everybody's taking it pretty seriously uh, when we are performing, which is good.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, you want to stay safe, especially during these very strange times with uh, being distant from each other. But at the same time, you can still go do things like this, which is nice because you can kind of feel that the world isn't so abnormal. You can do somewhat of a normal thing, which we used to do and take for granted. I know for me, I, I miss going to concerts. I miss going to live shows where I could just go and show up if i felt like it now it's just a bit of more of a careful uh, you think twice about whether you should go somewhere so you need to be careful at all times yeah now, for sure now i know that you teach greg uh we talked about that before uh tell me a little bit about what you did uh i, I mean are, are you currently teaching music or is that taken a, a side on the sideline a little bit
1: i'm teaching still i do it all on online like via skype or facetime or zoom um which is you know not ideal but i find that the lessons i've been having with uh my students are really productive still and uh people seem to really enjoy it i've actually had a few people hit me up uh after the pandemic started to start taking lessons knowing full well it would be only online so yeah yeah
0: Uh, and at least you get to keep doing that too and but i know that it's just a little difficult most likely to be able to you know, they go so far when it's online. I know teachers are having a hard time when they do that because being close to the student uh, makes a huge difference to be able to show, physically show how to operate or to uh, go through problem solving or anything like that. But, you know, you do the best you can. And obviously we're getting kind of good at (laughs) Zoom meetings and Skype and trying to do our best to explain better what we're talking about or whether you're performing, you know, those kind of things.
1: Right. If I had if I had beginner students, it would be so difficult to do it online only. I don't have any beginner students. So I think for me, it might be a little easier because I'm not having to maybe uh, physically show them how to hold their hand or you know what I mean? We're talking a lot of conceptual based stuff. Um, And so I think that makes it an easier job for me. I know some people who are teaching online and they have like a beginning student on violin let's say how do you show them how to hold it and how to hold the bow on zoom i can't imagine how difficult that would be
0: it's got to be difficult but yeah we're we're doing the best we can with what we have and i'm sure that everyone's gonna by the end of this pandemic be very good at online calls <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now uh with the awesome music that you made for making a geek um is this something that you would like to venture into something that you would consider going into that kind of style of music, whether it be live or a next studio recording.
1: It's funny that you say that because before we talked about doing the theme to your show, I had already done some production that was um, kind of in that vein, not completely synthwave, but kind of that 80s retro feel behind um, some hip hop tracks that I produced. And then we talked. And then since then, I've actually produced a few other synth wave tracks and I've done some stuff, some personal projects where I've been writing some stuff that's kind of that synth-based stuff. So it's funny that you ask that because I've already been doing it. <laughs> so now do you ever think of maybe making an album just of that
0: or is it not enough to make a full production like that for you?
1: I have thought about doing that. In fact, I'm kind of kind of under the radar. I'm kind of working on a five-song EP of some synth wave some synth pop kind of stuff. There you go. So we'll see, we'll see when, and if that comes to light, I'm right. kind of collaborating with a couple of other singers in Portland and going to maybe have a bunch of guest singers uh, on these songs. So it can be fun, it'll be something completely different for me.
0: Right. And uh, when I initially made the theme song for a retro game night, it was just chip tune. And for me, that was, while it sounds like an extremely simple <laughs> theme song, it was actually very difficult to make just because chip <laughs> tuning is not easy. And I had to kind of learn from Square One uh, specifically for making a theme for it because I knew I wanted to sound that way. I didn't want to use another song from a video game. I wanted to be something original. But yeah. um, but with what you do, it seems just all freehand, all just, you know, you're in that moment, whereas what I was just kind of experimenting
1: with was more just patterns and dots on the screen. <laughs> and that's that's fine. I think I have the the luxury of being... Uh, performing musician and then also being a piano player specifically um, means that you've kind of got a leg up on a lot of people in the studio environment because I can play all the parts on piano and I am proficient at that instrument. Um, So it makes it a little easier. I, you know, doing all that stuff from scratch is not a big deal for a keyboard player. Before we go fast forward post pandemic uh,
0: where, where do you see yourself going with your music now that you've had some time to do what you're still doing? You have developed that appreciation for performing again. You 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 you're dying to get back to normal. Where do you see yourself going? You know, after a couple of years of post pandemic.
1: Well, I mean, I'm I'm hoping to get back um, to touring. I really do like touring and traveling. Um, plus, it's good for my income (laughs) you always make more more money not in your own city (laughs) um but I, i do really enjoy that um and then you know i was performing so much right before the pandemic that to go from that to zero was a big shock so i'm hoping at some point to get back to at least you know what i was doing before which is five or six nights a week playing gigs um, that,
0: that would be really great, just because I know that I know i 'm getting this vision of people getting back to normal after everything, and I think it 's just going to be such a great gig, that first gig that you get back where everything is just back to normal, everyone 's just back doing what they 're doing, and you get to be in that vibe of back to normality, and they 're feeling it too. I think you 're going to have a couple years of performing that are going to be fantastic, and, and your crowd's going to be so into it because they 're just happy to be there in the moment.
1: I sure hope so, because, you know, live music is a hard way to make a living. (laughs) And I think if people do take it for granted, then people just don't come out. And I think now it's really shown people that, oh, I I really missed that. I should have been doing that more often. And they're really showing up for stuff. When stuff does happen now, people are showing up. And then hopefully even more so when back to some semblance of normal where you don't have to wear a mask in a tiny jazz club.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, 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 like I said, I've seen you a few times. Uh, definitely pick up Rainy City. Really great. Um, but before we go, Greg, where can where can uh, folks find you?
1: Uh, my website is www.greggobelmusic.com. So G R E G G O E B E L music.com. Um, so there, there, I've got a bunch of a bunch of uh, videos, uh, teaching tutorials. Uh, other production kind of stuff. So you can hear various things of my own performing and also kind of stuff that I've been producing. Um, You can also contact me through there, but then all the other typical stuff, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So you can follow me on all, follow me on all those.
0: And you can find me at Damien underscore DeCarlo, also at making a geek underscore podcast. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I wish you and your wife well and stay safe during the pandemic. Don't go out for anything unless it's just for music. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you too. Hope you're doing well. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that little bell on this channel for more cool content. Until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek out. Good night, everybody.